Hey everyone, Jason here. I am the My Climate Journey show host. Before we get going, I wanted to take a minute and tell you about the My Climate Journey, or MCJ as we call it, membership option. Membership came to be because there were a bunch of people that were listening to the show that weren't just looking for education, but they were longing for a peer group as well. So we set up a Slack community for those people that's now mushroomed into more than 1,300 members. There is an application to become a member. It's not an exclusive thing. There's four criteria we screen for. Determination to tackle the problem of climate change. Ambition to work on the most impactful solution areas. Optimism that we can make a dent and we're not wasting our time for trying. And a collaborative spirit. Beyond that, the more diversity, the better. There's a bunch of great things that have come out of that community, a number of founding teams that have met in there, a number of nonprofits that have been established, a bunch of hiring that's been done, a bunch of companies that have raised capital in there, a bunch of funds that have gotten limited partners or investors for their funds in there, as well as a bunch of events and programming by members and for members, and some open source projects that are getting actively worked on that hatched in there as well. At any rate, if you want to learn more, you can go to myclimatejourney.co, the website, and click the Become a Member tab at the top. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's episode of the MCJ Startup Series is with Maddie Hall and Patrick Meller, the CEO and co-founder and the CTO and co-founder of a company called Living Carbon. This was actually the first Startup Series episode we ever did a few months ago. At the time, it was only released via video to members only, and we're thrilled today to be able to make this episode available to everybody via audio on the podcast player because it's a great company and a great discussion. Living Carbons is a San Francisco-based startup that's using biotechnology to develop trees that better capture and store carbon. By using biochemistry to enhance a tree's natural ability to draw down atmospheric carbon, the company is not only devising a solution to address climate change, but also producing more durable wood for a multitude of building and manufacturing applications. The mission of the company is to address climate change by meaningfully reducing atmospheric carbon using biologically modified trees while simultaneously producing more durable wood-based products. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope you do too. Maddie, Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks Hello. for having us. Thank you for coming and for being guinea pigs in this early experiment we're doing with our new climate tech startup series. Uh, so the, the, the early times are the most memorable, but they're also the bumpiest. So you're brave. We, we echo that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> we are used to that in many realms. Uh, but was very excited to have this discussion. Uh, Living Carbon is uh, doing something different than a lot of other climate tech startups that I've heard about and what you're doing is important and I'm really excited to learn more about it and dive in deep and also give uh, listeners a chance to 
uh, learn about something different as well because I suspect it might inspire people. That would definitely be a help. So we are working with trees and we are enabling them to draw down more carbon and produce more durable wood to help carbon drawdown to mitigate the effect of climate change and to produce a useful and saleable product that will make it economically sustainable. We casually call this the trees of tomorrow. Um, and, and how did you come about working on the trees of tomorrow? Uh, we met at a Foresight Institute conference um, and uh, Maddie had been working on photosynthesis enhancement and I have been working on decomposition resistance, which are the two sides of the technology that we're using. And so we put those together to make trees that both photosynthesize more efficiently and are more resistant to disease and decay. It was kind of a weird moment because it was this yin to the yang sort of thing. And when like two superheroes are meeting, not to describe ourselves that way, and their powers together are greater than their powers each individually. Um, yeah. And when was, it, when was that, just to set, set the timescales here? It was in... Um, November. Yes. Yeah. Recent. Yeah. Last November. Got it. Well, I have lots of questions, but instead of getting ahead of myself, why don't, uh, why don't you walk us through... The presentation and then um, I'll just ask them as we go. Sounds great. Uh, we already jumped ahead and, and got to the first slide here which is probably nothing new to the uh, My Climate Journey podcast audience. Um, our current path has really severe consequences for humanity um, and one thing that I think is particularly interesting is people talk about two degrees Celsius warming. Well what that actually means is average warming. Uh, if you look at the midlines of the, of the world you end up with seven degree warming. Um, and the impact that that can have on land use and drought and the number of um, plants that are able to survive in those harsher conditions is really, really significant. And, and I just have one question on the origin story, which is, uh, was it, um, did, you, did you discover the technology first and then the impact it had later? Or was it, were you climate motivated first and it led you to trees? Like how, how uh, how did you each come to be working in this area to begin with? We were both climate motivated first. Uh, my, my pathway to it was uh, my training in paleobiology and knowledge of how this situation has happened before many times in the history of the earth. And the only way that large quantities of carbon dioxide have been removed from the atmosphere before through the whole history of life has been drawn down by plants. So, from my side, I knew that enhancing drawdown by plants was the way to go and the only way that had been shown to work before. And I was working at OpenAI on machine learning and really ambitious development of superhuman intelligence. And I came to realize that any sort of long tail project that takes more 10, 20 years is gonna be jeopardized by climate change. Um, and there were just so many people working in AI ML and I thought, it makes a lot more sense for good founders and people in Silicon Valley to spend more of their energy on addressing climate change, particularly with hard science technologies that otherwise are just stuck in labs. So, you know, I'd read these incredible papers that demonstrate really large effects on growth rate and all this research was just getting stuck in the lab or not applied in a way that would actually allow it to mitigate climate change and be commercially viable. 
And part of this is that until recently, drawdown was not considered the only option or the only, you know, the only viable option to deal with climate change. Until a couple of years ago, the focus was still almost entirely on emissions reduction. And so once we accept that emissions reduction is not going to be enough, then we have to do drawdown. And the only short-term practicable way of doing that is turning that carbon dioxide into biomass. Okay. And that actually ties in really well to, to our slide here. Um, you know, of course, planting trees and reforestation is what people refer to as the cheapest, easiest solution to actually remove those, those emissions, but, um, or sorry, remove that CO2 from the atmosphere. But there are a lot of issues that you run into when you talk about large-scale reforestation, planting a trillion trees. Um, so one of our hypotheses, well, what if we made the baseline product better? Um, and there are some academic institutions that have worked on this, like the Salk Institute, we're a fan of their work as well. Um, but the mechanism that was really important to us was that the advances that we made in the biotech and the genetic engineering side had to also translate to more profits to landowners, whether that was through increased revenue from timber harvest or increased annual revenue from CO2 offsets. And so all of that woody biomass represents carbon that was drawn down from the atmosphere and that the durability and the retention is just as important as the initial drawdown. Yeah, and so much of the CO2 is released um, back into the atmosphere when trees die. So wood products solve that and increased wood products solve that even more. So, so let, me, uh, let me try to um, speak back what I just heard from you just to make sure I understand that point. So basically uh, trees can be good carbon sinks but they're only as uh, good carbon sinks for as long as the tree stays alive. Uh, and by having more durable trees that stay alive for longer, they can be better carbon sinks. So uh, I just will clarify one thing that the tree doesn't have to be alive, but what the, but the biomass has to be uh, uh, still present and not decomposed. So a dead tree that's been turned into wood, that carbon dioxide is still sequestered from the atmosphere. It's decomposition that returns that to the atmosphere. So fungal decay, bacterial decay, animals eating biomass. Uh -huh. so, and, and, and so what, what are you actually improving to enable the trees to be more durable? We're incorporating fungicidal properties into the wood so that the trees are resistant to fungal decomposition, both mm -hmm. when they are alive and after they have died. Okay. And Let's keep going. One of our big revelations here was that um, to get the large scale drawdown that we need and to drive user adoption, we really need products that are not only better for the environment, but better for the world, uh, better for profit, better for landowners, right? So we see that with Impossible Foods, with Tesla, there are all these products that are just by and large better. Um, oh, and by the way, they're also really great for CO2 removal um, and negative emissions. So you know, when we were thinking about living carbon, we were looking for a market that was very large, that had a lot of room for improvement, um, specifically with biotech innovation. And we came to forestry as that market. 
Um, so trees have been planted for many, many years, but there's a new focus on trees as a means of negative, of negative emissions, right? And everyone has such an emotional connection to them. Um, we're not trying to do anything crazy like, you know, let these trees loose in the wild right away, um, but we're particularly looking at our managed forest um, and plantation land that not, not adding to it, but just replacing the trees that are currently planted in plantations with our trees. Um, and it's about 51 billion trees that are planted uh, with poplar and pine just in U.S. planted forests. Um, and for us, the way in which we monetize this is, you know, we sell the seedlings in a markup, but we're also able to get um, a percent of the revenue that landowners might get from offsets. Um, or, of course, you know, there's the option for them to sell their, their uh, products as timber at the end. So. Okay. And this is us. Um, we share a little bit about who we are as a team. Um, we recently hired a fantastic VP of Biotech Human um, who came to us after being in DuPont for 20 years and has also been an advisor to um, a lot of different plant biotech companies and we're, we're really excited to have him on the team. So we are currently working with... Oh. oh, go ahead, Patrick. Oh, I was just going to say we're currently working with poplar, which is the tree that's most amenable to genetic transformation. And one of our advisors is the leading scientist working with genetically transformed poplar in the country, Steve Strauss, um, which has helped us immensely because we have uh, in less than a year already gotten to the point of having successfully transformed poplar in-house um, with uh, multiple different uh, uh, genetic transformations. Um, both in soil and in tissue culture. And so that's a lot of progress in a short time, and it's surprising. Yeah, we build upon the research of a lot of, a lot of other folks who've spent their careers working on this stuff. And so we feel really lucky to be able to help bring some of these visions to, to market um, and hopefully to, to broader consumers. And one thing that is important to us is poplar is the easiest species to transform, right? But pine is really where there's a large amount of commercial viability. So that's on our short-term roadmap right now as well. And are you gonna get into what you're actually doing to transform the trees later in the deck? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Definitely. Yeah, so that is the rest of it the right whole here. Of it now, actually. So, <laughs> um, um, so the clone we're using is a hybrid between aspen and cottonwood. Um, this is one of them. They're very fast growing. This is a, like a soil grown plant. They grow easily from cuttings. And um, we have these in soil, we have them in tissue culture. So we've refined our tissue culture techniques. We have these. And we also have transgenic cali, which is uh, transgenic plant tissue expressing uh, beet pigment here. Um, and we also have two arbitrates already incorporated into transgenic cali. And the mechanism that we are using combines um, a photosynthesis hack, you could call it, um, where we divert metabolism of um, a, a chemical called glycolate, which normally um, is broken down in a wasteful process that reduces uh, the efficiency of carbon dioxide absorption. And so we're using a synthetic pathway to break that down in a simpler way with a, that uses less energy. Um, and that is our um, photosynthesis enhancement me method. And that's been shown in uh, experiments in tobacco with an extremely similar construct to increase growth rate by 40%. So that's the growth rate side. The hyperaccumulation side, and I'm going to get ahead of myself because 
hyperaccumulation is the mechanism that we are using to impart the fungicidal properties to the wood, um, comes from two species, two, other, two plant species that accumulate uh, copper and nickel. And so we are enabling poplar trees to accumulate these two metals and deposit them in the wood. Um, in concentrations that are much lower than those used in commercial fungicides and wood treatments, but using exactly the same mechanism. And you can see in our, our diagrams that you have here, which is a point that we talked about earlier, um, as the plant biomass is broken down, you can see here, there's more CO2 that's released back into the atmosphere, right? And a lot of the 50% the of biomass that is stored underground for, for trees, um, that's broken down by the fungi right here, um, as well as above ground too. And the depiction that we have is our trees standing tall for longer and there are fewer fungi around the roots because of course the, the roots are naturally fungal resistant. Um, and, and then you can see the same illustration there with wood. So there are, there are two sides to it. There's the disease resistance um, in the living tree, um, actually three, the increased accumulation of dead biomass in the forest, which uh, also represents sequestration and the increased durability and value of the wood that is produced. So that's a lot. Questions you have for us, Jason, to help clarify for you or anyone who might be watching? Uh, yeah, well, well, one is just, uh, um, how does one go about developing these capabilities? Did you pick up some work that others had done or did you start from zero? Um, I, I, I guess you've, you've got the capability now, but where did that come from and over what period of time? So we put together <laughs> methods that others had used and then modified them. Um, and we extrapolated from observations of properties that wild plants have. So, of course, we didn't innovate it from nothing, um, and there's a precedent, but um, we are the first to have applied it in a context that could produce something like uh, a stronger, more durable wood or, you know, a natural product in that way. So uh, the hyperaccumulation we took from... Uh, creosote bush and a species of wild co coffee. Um, one of them does the copper, the other one does the nickel. So this is all naturally occurring, right? As these trees grow, they're sucking very low concentrations of metal um, from the soil into the lignin of the tree. Um, we're not, we didn't come up with that, right? That naturally happens. So our innovation here is actually just taking these behaviors that we've seen in other tree species and putting it into timber, right? It's nothing that's really that new on, oh, wow, this never happened in a million years. Actually, poplar trees, which are the first trees that we're looking at, they've actually already been transformed to hyperaccumulate 100x of a common, like of what a traditional tree would be able to accumulate of a common carcinogen found in biomolecular sites. So we're definitely not the first to do this. Our work really stands on the back of giant. The innovative part here is how we're applying it together and the actual use case of our products. And biologically, the photosynthesis enhancement is more innovative because that's actually a synthetic pathway. Yes. And there's also been a lot of work, um, both in Arabidopsis, which is a um, plant species that a lot of folks use to genetically modify things quickly, Arabidopsis, soybean, and then it's also being tried in a lot of different uh, seasonal crops. 
but it doesn't really matter much if you have corn that grows a lot taller if you're not increasing yield. So the application for the photosynthetic enhancement approach is actually a lot better in trees um, because so much of A, the value of your tree and B, um, the amount of CO2 that your tree stores is dependent on, on the growth rate of that tree species. Uh, great, well, I have more questions, but let's, let's keep going and, and uh, you, you might cover them and if not, I'll bring them up at the end. Great, so what's, what's the impact on CO2 drawdown of what we're doing? So we expect to increase the growth rate of trees by about 40%. Um, and that directly translates to 40% um, greater uh, total drawdown, 29% um, um, when you count things like leaves that fall off and decay in any case. Um, that's why that's slightly lower. Um, and double the storage time of CO2 if we halve the decomposition rate. Um, and so this, if in an extremely optimistic example, we replaced all plantation forest land that's currently planted with poplar and pine with our trees, we could then draw down and store 30% of annual emissions in wood products and standing biomass, um, which would be amazing. Of course, we are not going to replace every poplar and pine uh, plantation in the world with our trees, but certainly it is um, in the tens of percents figure in terms of emissions offset. Um, and this doubles the drawdown per acre. Great. So what have we done? I, what, what progress have we made at Living Carbon? Um, Patrick showed you a little picture of this earlier. Um, or not a picture, the, the actual, actual thing. The actual thing. <laughs> um, so part of making genetically modified organisms um, is you have to start by making plant stem cells. Um, they're called Cali, but we colloquially call them that because it's easier to understand. Um, and those end up maturing into these fully, fully modified plants that have a brand new genome. Um, those plants are easily cloned and we can run a lot of different experiments um, to confirm some of the things that we've seen in our temporary transformation studies and um, the data that we already have. We're able to add to that by directly measuring CO2, or excuse me, uh, rate of photosynthesis in the actual so this um, on the right shows uh, an example of a tree that has our photosynthesis enhancement pathway and the one that doesn't, a tree that doesn't. And we measured the leaf area two weeks after transforming these plants. And you can see that there is uh, double the leaf area. Um, we actually have a graph on the next slide in the transformed tree. And also there were anatomical changes that suggested that there was increased sugar production from more efficient photosynthesis. And so we're at the stage now where we're going to directly measure the gas exchange involved and um, show that that uh, is due to increased drawdown. What does the process look like from going from the lab through commercialization? What are the key phases and uh, where are you in that journey today? So after we are able to really quantify the photosynthesis improvements that we've seen, we of course are going to iterate on it in the lab and continue to have this strong pipeline to make our, to make our trees better and better. Um, but to actually get to, get to commercialization, we need to get these plants out of the greenhouse and on test plots of land. 
Um, so our plants are hybrids. So that means, and they're all female, which um, means that they're unable to, to self-pollinate, which is great. Um, what we want to do is we've got a couple of test plots set up right now, Northern California, Washington, New York. Um, where we're hoping to get these trees in the soil and see, can we observe what we've observed in the greenhouse um, in, in different soil conditions and environmental conditions yes. across America. Uh, after that, of course, we then end up wanting, wanting to find uh, propagation partners to help us um, distribute these trees to different landowners. And again, it's not just necessarily timber companies. People have come up, come up and tried to buy these trees off me for like 50 bucks you know, friends that I have. So, it, yeah. <laughs> and the transformation uh, method that we're using uh, involves taking genes from donor plants rather than using genes from plant pests. So uh, because of that, we are not um, using any of the methods that have given genetic modification a bad name, which are mostly pesticide resistance and this kind of thing. Um, we're, we are only using genes from uh, different non-pest plant species. And as a result of that, we're actually not considered GMO um, by, by the USDA, which is, is really fortunate for us um, due to the method of transformation that we're using and also the, the genes that Patrick mentioned. We, uh, we recently got approval from the USDA and that was a really big milestone for us. Um, we became the second only uh, genetically enhanced tree to be improved, to be fully deregulated. Um, and so what that means is that uh, there are certain parts of regulations that you can trigger depending on the methods of transformation and what genes you're using. So um, the USDA has confirmed for what we're doing that um, we're not considered regulated under their, their APHIS protocol. Um, and that was really exciting for us. We've gotten some traction. People are excited to plant our trees. Um, our go-to-market is one that we iterate on as we see different effect sizes in, in our scientific method, methodology um, and, and the different results of our experiments. But for now, our hope is, you know, we've got two different types of customers. One is private landowner who plants trees for ornamental purposes, but also cares about climate change. Um, another one might be a landowner who typically plants trees for uh, timber harvest, but is also interested in possibly switching from harvest to offset. Um, we also hold two patents, but that's just it, yeah. And, and in terms of uh, de defensibility, uh, um, is, I mean, is it primarily through IP that, um, uh, that, that makes this defensible relative to other companies coming in and doing the same thing or, or other, other means of building some type of moat? So I think it's that um, it's the IP. It's also public transformation isn't easy. It's it's it, there's been a lot of research in tobacco and crops and soybeans, you know, because that's been where the money's been at. But there are only a few facilities in the United States that even know how to transform trees in general. So the actual methods that we're using and getting this to work is is a moat in and of itself. Uh -huh. And in terms of the go-to-market, I mean, I saw on the last slide that you had 400K in LOIs. Uh, what types of entities are those coming from and for what? What's the pitch to them that, uh, what, what, what do they think they're buying? So they're buying seedlings that have certain improvements in growth rate. 
right? So if we don't hit the milestones that we need, then the LOIs you know, are not as relevant anymore. Um, but we've given a specific range. So our model is to sell our seedlings. Um, and then we sell them at 200% um, markup, which is pretty traditional for nurseries in terms of our costs. Um, and then also getting an additional revenue by taking a percent of offset revenue that would come um, from, from planting our trees from specific landowners. So they're, they're buying the seedlings. Um, and there's also the opportunity for us to license the technology to larger scale uh, seedling propagation places. Um, but that's what they're getting. And it's at a price point that's set at a specific range. Um, in terms of who the customers are, um, they range from folks that have a bunch of excess land that they want to plant their trees on to some of the biggest timber companies in the U.S. that want to do a pilot project on a small plot of land. Uh huh. And and do do you envision or do they envision that um, that when they do look at wider scale deployment, are 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 is this replacing something that they've already got, or would this be incremental? Um, uh, um, and they would keep doing all the things they're already doing. Um, what, what's the, so you, you talked about the pitch in terms of what they're getting, but what's the pitch in terms of why? In terms of why? Well, there are actually a lot of indirect benefits to planting our trees for landowners. So they range from canker disease. Um, you want to share more about that? Yes. Um, so uh, the hybrid accumulation will prevent fungal disease in living trees. And so for poplar, there is a disease called canker, which is uh, caused by um, a fungal pathogen, which is also inhibited by copper and nickel in the wood. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, disease resistance is associated with metal accumulation um, in plants. So the trees will be disease resistant. And of course, the growth cycle will be reduced. The current growth cycle poplar is 12 years, so we can get that down to, say, seven years. That is a greatly significant decrease. Yeah, so it, it impacts their revenue at the end of the day, right? Like if you've worked for 20 years to grow some poplar and then they end up with a disease, that's a huge loss for you. Um, so folks have, you know, even moved away from planting poplar, but it's still used in a lot of situations. So we're hoping to not only maybe replace some existing trees that might have some existing areas that might have a willow, um, but also just go after folks who have the excess land, right? A lot of people do. Um, and and that, is, that is something that folks are willing to pay. It's like paying for sustainability, um, at least in that, in that customer profile. And do you anticipate that you'll be focused on poplar for as far as the eye can see or other, other adjacent markets that, that you'll be um, going after as well? So we want to um, use the same methods uh, in pine after we have shown that they work in poplar. We chose poplar because it is both in commercial use and is uh, the closest thing to a lab mouse of trees, you could say. It's a model organism for trees. So there's more known about it than other species. Yeah, pine is on our short-term roadmap. Um, there's also, if you look at companies that have tried to do this before, such as Arborgen, they were actually looking at four different species all at the same time. So it's not inconceivable for us to have both pine um, and poplar on our short-term roadmap. Uh, specifically, there are a lot of, um, if we target more of the individual private landowners with poplar, and then once we get pine going, go after the, the larger timber market, um, which is gonna be, again, there's some change management there that has to happen. Great, should we keep going with the slides? 
Yeah, so this is actually our, our last slide, and then happy to answer other questions as well. So um, what, where do we want to be in 100 years, right? So we want to be this biotech backbone that can improve the efficiency and the feasibility of a lot of different carbon removal projects that are not as widely adopted due to poor economics right now. So biochar is a great example um, where growth rate really impacts efficiency. Um, and there are many applications just beyond what we're looking at that biotechnology can be used to enhance carbon drawdown. Um, we alluded to some of the things that are listed on this slide already, but um, you know, IKEA uses 1% of the world's timber, which is crazy. Um, and I would love to, 30 years from now, be able to see a stamp on all of our wood products that say, um, you know, all of IKEA's wood products say sustainably grown with carbon, carbon enhanced yeah. technology. And just, just to add, right now about 5% of annual emissions are drawn down and stored in wood products every year, which is quite impressive. Yeah, so that's, that's us. Um, I know it's an ambitious project. It's not one that you've probably seen on the podcast, but... One of our fundamental beliefs is that um, we need to develop these frontier technologies more and make them something that um, has commercial potential. And I think, I think we can work on the backs of the giants that have come before us and help take a lot of the great work that's already been done and bring it to broader market. Uh, and I'm not sure if you want to talk about it, but, I, uh, but it, if you're comfortable, it would be great to hear just a little bit about how the company has been capitalized to date and then how you're thinking about uh, sources and uses of capital directionally as the company scales? Yeah, so, um, you know, as when I was leaving OpenAI, I was lucky to have made a fair amount of connections. And so we raised a small pre-seed round with some awesome investors, including Sam Altman, Lower Carbon Capital, um, and, and other folks that were personally interested in the project as well. Uh, and as a result of that, we didn't feel a ton of pressure to really fundraise until we had hit a couple scientific milestones, which we most recently did. So that plus the USA, USDA approval has set us on the path to fundraise our seed. Um, where the money ends up going towards, it's a lot of, it's a lot of equipment, right? Um, plant, people say plant biology is cheap. Um, it's, it's not, but I think we really, really, really want to be quantifying the effects that we've seen, right? So we, we need to measure the exact gas exchange. How much have we increased photosynthetic efficiency? We haven't done it at all. Um, and, and the hope is to use some of the funding that we get to really precisely measure some of our some of the impacts that we've seen in our early experiments. Uh -huh. and, and for anybody listening who uh, might be interested in helping and wants to see you guys successful, where do you need help? Are you, are you hiring? Are there certain kinds of partnerships? Uh, um, how, how can people listening that love what you're doing help you be more successful? Um, I think there, there are a couple different things. So one is, you know, if you have excess land and want to run a field trial for our trees, by all means, uh, let us know. That actually happens more often than you would think. Um, if you know folks who are, who are really interested in helping sort of shape how timber is viewed um, in the climate change movement, that's also, we love, we love talking to Timberland owners, customer discovery, um, and I think also just education, right? Like one of our big values as a, as a company is just sharing more about what we're doing and educating people about how genetic engineering is not default bad. 
right? Um, it just depends on how you use it, and we're do and you know if you are safe and are doing it in a smart way. Um, as Impossible Foods will show you, the the applications and the impacts can really be be huge. Um, so I just encourage people to have those conversations that you know might be questioning some of their preconceived beliefs. And what's the website? The website is livingcarbon.com, and you will you will find something that is thought provoking, but not very educational right now. Um, we've we've held off on a public launch until we've gotten our UCA approval, and and then have hit all these milestones. So well, it sounds like if people want to, want to learn more, then they should go to myclimatejourney.com and it. find this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Maddie and Patrick, is there anything I I didn't ask that I should have, or any parting words for listeners? Anything? No, I think we're good. Um, no, I mean, I think we we appreciate what you what you've been doing and the way in which you've created community around this. I think it's it's cool to see that you know as we're a young, ambitious climate change startup, that we now have the ability to say that we have like climate change friends, right? Um, and, and a lot of those come through come through the community that you've built. So, thanks. Amazing. For that. Well, I think it's awesome what you're doing. I'm proud to have you as part of the community and. Uh, we wish you guys every success. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks. Hey everyone, Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on My Climate Journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22 where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.